Welcome to the Clutch Burners Podcast, your home for stick shift drag racing, stick shift tech, stick shift trash talking, and more. And tonight, I've got my awesome co-host right over there, Rich Guido, the Canadian Chuck Norris. And that was that was the bang shift Billy introducing us. And then we got a couple other special guests, uh, Master of Broken. Oh, they're, they're special, all right. <laughs> we got, we got Chris Hine, uh, my new nemesis. I just follow him around and get my butt kicked at every event by him. <laughs> and Brent Stevens, um, I think he's the master of block breaking currently. Oh, but oh yeah. I'm sure he'll be kicking our butts shortly again as well. Yes. And, and so I'm feeling a little outpaced tonight because we've got three Canadians to one American. <laughs> and and I think I'd like to start off with the very first question because this is kind of how it went at race week. So how did you guys feel? So let me back up. We've got Chris Hine, number one yep. stick shift winner for race week. Brent Stevenson, number two stick shift winner, and Canadian Chuck Norris number three. Now, how did you guys feel when an American came up to your event, Miles of Mayhem, and won, and kicked your asses? You had to send three down for retribution. Well, the reality is, is we wanted you to come back. So in order for you to come oh. back, we had to make you feel special. And, you know, oh, my you God. Back. Right, right. So that was what the rain dance was about. Is that correct? We'll talk more about that because that that's pretty damn funny. We, we have a lot of good stories tonight. I think we should uh. start off by... So you want to be a stick car racer and let each one of us talk about what we broke on this event. <laughs> oh, I think that's where we should start. <laughs> yeah. I think we should start with the, the, the two most catastrophic ones first. Looking at you, Brent. He's got both of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, everything was going good till the last day, till the last pass, actually. Well, maybe Maybe, Brett, give us a little background on your car, and then you should give us a little preview to just before the other event, which would have been Miles of Mayhem 2 also, because you had yeah. a lot of catastrophe going on. So, Brent Stevens, you got the floor. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, basically, if my car would have started out like it's ran this year, I don't know if it would still be the same combo it is. Um for a couple of years, I had pretty good luck with it. It ran pretty good, and it was pretty problem problem free. And this so year, tell, tell us what you got. The whole platform. Give us yep. the whole breakdown. It's a '69 Dart with a Gen 3 Hemi. Um, it was started out the year like a 399 cubic inch, just a slight stroker. T Tech heads on it, twin 67 turbos, um, a GF5R Fab 9, um, just an 850 cage in the car and uh, had been a best of 871 at 162. And, uh, yeah, just one off you there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, so the first time I brought it out this year, I ended up breaking a valve. I didn't actually drop it. It, it broke and kind of beat up one cylinder. So we took it in, thrashed to get it all ready to go. So it was uh, ready for miles of mayhem. Um, my engine builder pulled through, CP pulled through, everyone helped me to the full extent and we got it back in time, just in time. I went to Mopar Madness the day before Miles of Mayhem and the second pass kind of shaking the engine out, It I had a dome sensor fail and it overboosted 
and went to 31 pounds. And for that, that was the most that uh, that engine I'd ever seen. I uh, typically only ran it to about 22 pounds and the rods didn't like it and they exited the block. And uh, so you really shook it up. You shook it out. <laughs> yes, 100%. And it uh, wasn't, wasn't ideal timing, obviously, the day before Miles of Mayhem started. And uh, so we were kind of heads in our laps. My son and I were pretty pretty uh, disgusted with the way everything looked and the way it was running. And uh, and we ended up going to my buddy's house, thrashed for a couple of days, got a motor that he had sitting in his garage, another Gen 3 Hemi, a 392 cubic inch. Um, got it back in the car and made it to second day of Miles of Mayhem, kind of caught up with all of you guys then and was able to complete the week pretty effortlessly, actually. Like it it didn't set the world on fire or nothing, but it ran really well. It ran like 590s in the eighth and it seemed to be pretty consistent and happy. And, um, and then we took that same motor to race week and it ran really good till it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and I want you to expand on that, but no matter what you believe, I think things happen for a reason. So yeah. tell us what happened and then I'm going to tell you what I think. Well, you could tell us too, but it's pretty obvious. Yeah. No, um, yeah. on the drives and on all the tracks, we didn't try and beat it to death by any means. Um, we didn't have anything for you guys, but it, what I figured for the week, if I could run a, like a fourth place finish, that was kind of a W for me, honestly, because I, I, I wasn't going to to flog the motor to try and put the rods out of it, even though I ended up doing it. Um, <laughs> um, the whole plan was just keep and, it together, keep, a, keep it happy. This was a borrowed, yes. borrowed motor. Yes, exactly. My buddy, my buddy Lauren pulled through huge for me and, and didn't want to see me sitting for the rest of the summer is all it was. He's just like, man, I'm not using it. So go ahead and use it. So I wasn't too keen on doing it. And for the reason I'm sitting in now, now I got to fix this motor, but uh, he's, that he's nice too. <laughs> yeah he's super cool about it and, and we'll get it fixed up though but yeah and so everything ran good all week we got to pueblo broke the beams so we were able to get our third place spot for the week then we were ready for the shootout and we didn't really change anything for the shootout we we're still running it on about 20 pounds and it was pretty happy and uh we got to the finals lined up with brooks and um everything was still looking good didn't show any signs of any real problems um and we're on the one two shift it didn't it kind of nosed over and didn't feel right and it was kicking it kicked the back end out on me a little bit and i was obviously spinning in my own oil so i got out of it and i'm trying to kind of gather up and figure out what was going down really i checked oil pressure right away and uh then i see brooks coming across the center line so i kind of got into the brakes pretty hard and um and then i realized that after I had that once i kind of got sorted out i look in the rear view and i seen lots of smoke and then i knew it was bad so um but yeah, that's the way it ended up and ended up kicking a rod out of it. I just got the motor out of the car today and it looks like there was pretty bad heat in the crank. So I'm thinking it spun a bearing and kicked a rod is what happened. Um, didn't, didn't show any issues of oil pressure up to that point, but um, yeah, it's, it's pretty, and, crank definitely got pretty hot. Yeah. And had it not kicked a rod, what would have happened on that pass? Well, Brooks and I were very, very close, but we were running, so it was, pretty darn good chance of him and I would have been door handle to door handle going down the track. It should have been a real good race actually. Um, so yeah, it was definitely a blessing that I had problems in a way because it very likely could have ended up with two cars being piled into each other down the track. So yeah. 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 And in, in all fairness, he kicked out a uh, freeze plug and dumped a bunch of coolant on his, 
his tires on his side of the track and came shooting across. I mean, yeah. You guys both had a great week, but you know, again, like I would have rather seen a blown up motor and he did, he just, he didn't really hit the wall too hard at all, but no. had that not happened, you guys would have had two smash cars and that would have yeah. been bad. So yeah. Uh, and yeah. a couple, couple things. I mean, that was the quick 16. So there's a uh, fast as heck eight and then another eight and then a quick 16. And uh, it was pretty cool to see two stick cars in the final of the quick 16. You guys beat a lot of people. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. I was, I was definitely hoping it would, it would work out that way, but I mean, it was, it, it, we weren't, who knows, right? Like when everything was shaken down, but yeah, yeah, it definitely made my day to see two stick cars in the final of that race. But. And you, and you won cause Brooks uh, crossed the line. So yeah, I, I lucked into it, which was good. Got a little cash yeah. to go home with. <laughs> a little, little <laughs> right. funds, funds towards the rebuild. Yes. 100%. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been great, Rich. Should we wrap it up? Yeah. <laughs> Before we leave, Brent, um, one thing that, that impresses me is how consistent your car is. So do you do you recall what your four passes were that you handed in? What was your what were your four passes and what was your average? Um I averaged nine eleven for the week. I had the first day I was kind of trying to get that clutch sorted out. I, I just got my, my twin eight inch back from advanced clutches and it was being all fresh and, and, and proper. It was definitely different and I had to refine my clutch tune in it. And so it took me a few passes to kind of get sorted out in Pueblo and I ended up handing in a nine twenty that first day. I think like had I, uh, kind of been in a, in a better position, had a few passes on that clutch, I would have probably been able to tighten that up a little bit, but handed in a 920 in Pueblo, then a nine or an 898 rather in Kearney. And then uh, I was able to hand in a 916 and uh, a 908 later in the week there. So it was, it was kind of hanging on low nines there. Pretty happy. Yeah. Super yeah. impressive car. And it's beautiful. I have to say. Thank you. Oh, yeah. I'm poking fun at you, but the car is astounding. Like it is beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Who who next? Mr. Hyde. Who next? Mr. Number One. Mr. Number he's, One. He's not only your Thank nemesis, you. but he's mine too. Like <laughs> the two of you are making me start to make bad decisions. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. How's it going today? So. It's going pretty good. So, Mister Number One, how's it feel? Thank you. Yeah, it feels good. It's. Uh, I was definitely happy to make it all the way down there and all the way home. So that was the that was the biggest thing. I mean, that's the the farthest the car has drove on its on its new current combo. And I mean, uh, we put a lot of quite a few miles on over the summer and stuff. But there was a few times where it also didn't make it home. So ended up in the back of a U-Haul once this summer. So I was happy that we that we were able to finish the entire entire trip. Yeah, it's super impressive. Um, please tell people about the car because it's uh, it's one of these where we're watching you add weight to make the minimum weight, and it's just like God, this just doesn't seem right. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, it's a factory five racing thirty three hot rod kit. Um, I originally bought it in two thousand and fourteen. Uh, got it on the road for its first uh, vision, I guess, um, in two thousand and seventeen. 
uh, right in the fall. So I put a few miles on it that year. And then uh, 2018, we really started putting some miles on it. Originally, it started out as uh, just an iron block six liter. Um, put a cam in it, put some heads on it, nothing too fancy. Put a 4L70 behind it. And it stayed like that for for a couple seasons. Um, ended up putting some nitrous on it. And with a lack of a good tuning management, um, basically it just kept hurting itself. So melted a couple, or melted an exhaust valve, fried it some piston rings, you know. So so we eventually got rid of that. Um, it just wasn't it wasn't working the way we wanted it to. So uh, from there, we ended up putting a LSA in it. Um, it had a full LSA long block blower, uh, still behind that same automatic. And at that point, it was like a 980 car. Um, it was really consistent, pretty good bracket racer type car. Uh, but and I played, uh, I played in the uh, oh, modern muscle class in Miles of Mayhem for two seasons with that with that combo the way it was. So um, ended up getting second the second time around. The biggest thing with that class is it was limited to a 17 inch drive wheel. So but we just played on the 17s. And then I couldn't fit into that class. Otherwise, uh, it's kind of an oddball with a fiberglass body and, you know, the majority of it's a steel tube chassis. So it's kind of, they could kind of argue it either way because it's still factory style, um, just not Ford factory style. <laughs> but so then we uh, I probably, yeah, we probably didn't mind it when it was exactly like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. But uh, at that time, um, I finally broke the finally broke the transmission. I don't know. I went five seasons on a four L seventy, so I was pretty happy with that. But finally broke that transmission, and then it was kind of decision time. Um, we decided we wanted to go a different direction with the car, and the choice had to be made. Um, like it was, it was out of safety. It was out of cage at that point. Um, it was out of power. It didn't have any more power in it. Um, the rear end was that was the limits of what that thing probably wanted to do. It might've survived a little bit longer, but uh, fuel system was at its limits. So everything kind of needed a, a redo. Um, so I ended up tearing the car apart and we decided, you know, looking at all the rules and, and stuff, the probably my best shot of being competitive in something uh, was to go stick shift racing. And thankfully I had a, a light, you know, light chassis, a light program to get it started with. So that was the biggest reason why, why we decided to go that route. So, so you bought, um, you have a face plated T56 Magnum in it, right? Yeah. 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 So, I basically so just pulled yeah. G force and said, I'll just take whatever rich has got. Cause I mean, if that thing I thing yeah, the rich live special. behind his, <laughs> it should be able to live behind mine. Yeah. So, so, so I have a question. So when you sold your purse, did you, they, did, did that cover most of the transmission or? Uh, no, no. Like, I don't even know if that covered the shifter. <laughs> so you had, you didn't have a real nice purse is what you're saying. No, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. that's. Well, I'm, uh, glad, I'm glad you got rid of it. <laughs> that's one thing they don't tell you beforehand is how expensive those things are. They're not, uh, it's, it's an expensive way to go, to go racing. That's for sure. But, uh, it sure is, it sure is a good time. So yeah. What did, yeah. Uh, what did you break on this race week? Uh, <laughs> I didn't realize it until just the other day, but we twisted another input shaft. So. Oh. So. Well, wait, wait. 
What about the box full of airbags for your trailer? Well, yeah, that's that's thanks to the uh, <laughs> thanks to those Colorado highways. I, I mean, I thought I'd seen it all up here, but <laughs> not quite. So, <laughs> so, so we do we do got to talk. Um, so I, I want you to dive a little deeper on your setup on the car engine and stuff specifically because it's it's pretty damn fast. I mean, you were literally slowing it down all week just because you were past your cage sort of 850 but talk about the car the setup the weight everything because it's pretty impressive so the current the current combo the latest combo now will probably stay this way for a while but uh um so we did a bunch of fabrication work put an 850 cage uh into the car and then essentially did a back half um so we decided to go with a full four link wishbone style anti-roll bar um good uh it still needs a shock upgrade but I, st I still have the old shocks on it from before um but a good a good transmission or sorry a good rear end setup um the rear end is an 8.8 .8, which was in the car before but i put uh nine inch housing ends on it put 35 spline axles in it a spool did a bunch of bracing to it so really beefed up that 8.8 .8 and threw a set of 390 gears in the rear so um, transmission is a G-Force, like we said, faceplate a T56 Magnum, that double overdrive with the 063, um, I think is the overdrive. So it cruises nice down the highway. Um, and the clutch is just, a just an RXT twin disc. It's a RXT 1200, uh, clutch and, um, it's been, it's been working pretty decent here so far, but after a pair of input shafts now, it, it might be time to to go to that slipper world so <laughs> i was thinking so. we can make i can't imagine i don't know how many i got in my garage and bill's got a stack in his it's yeah like, oh, well it's like a flower pot full <laughs> yeah well yeah. i gotta so blame it on that uh, yeah yeah pretty much i'm gonna have to blame it on the uh maybe on that little motor so this year we put together a uh, texas speed came and helped me out and we put together uh, an LSA 388. So it's an LSA block. It's a stock block uh, that they cut the sleeves out and re-sleeved it to a 4125 bore. Um, factory forged LSA crank. And then we did rods and pistons, half-inch head studs. And it's a, a stock LS3 casting that's been ported. Uh, cylinder head, nothing, spe nothing too special on the cylinder head. And uh, we did a... Holly uh, low round with a dual fuel setup and a sheer fab air to water intercooler. And then providing all the power is a pair of uh, Garrett 68 millimeter turbos. So um, it's GX30, GX35s, is that correct? Uh, just, a, just a G35 1050. So, G okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. They're the kind of the latest gen that they, that they just came out with, I think, last year, basically. So. I think they came out with the G40. Yeah, I think the G40 is bigger, just a bigger size. So the next step. I mean, up. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know anything about that. But... <laughs> <laughs> you forced me to go shopping. Damn it! Yeah. <laughs> Better get the biggest ones you can. Go Pair eighty-eight is cool. Just fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. It, so, and you had you had some issues with the trailer though too, with uh, you tried like removing the axle out of it, didn't you? Or... Yeah, thankfully race week started before we even got there. So, 
so on the way to uh talk about it yeah sorry on the way about the trailer give us a little background on the trailer because it's sure it's a little more than just a trailer (laughs) yeah it's a little bit of an overgrown trailer so um it's uh five feet wide and 11 and a half feet long about four feet tall Uh, (laughs) so it's a it's a big unit but uh it's got a queen size bed in the front uh that's where we stay it's got air conditioning and uh, some upper cabinets and stuff to store all of our stuff. Uh, so we just sleep there. It's nice. You can sleep at the track. You can sleep at the hotel. Sleep at Bill's house. Anywhere, really. So, <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, the center is, uh, or the middle of it is storage. Um, just put a bunch of totes and stuff in there. And then the back opens up to uh, to a little kitchen. So I got a, a mini fridge, a little two-burner stove, and, and uh, the barbecue sits back there as well. So. Um, it's got some water on board and a few other odds and ends, but it, uh, other than just the overgrown size of it, it's a real nice package for, uh, for the dragon drive style stuff, because I mean, you know, you're hungry at the track, you can cook up some food. Um, I mean, one night we were on sick week, we were wrenching in the parking lot at one o'clock in the morning and everyone was hungry. So we just started cooking some food. (laughs) So stuff like that is, is pretty nice, but um, I just did a, a revision on, sus- on the suspension. It was a torsion axle and I put airbags underneath it uh, before this last trip, but we smashed a motocross jump uh, coming into Denver <laughs> and pretty much ripped it out. Uh, didn't even realize it at first, uh, blew an airbag right away. So I replaced that on the side of the road and then we just wanted to get out of there. So I didn't exactly go around inspecting it all that well and I probably should have. Um, but we made it to uh, made it to Bill's house. Thought it was okay. Didn't really think much of it. And then as we were cruising down the cruising down the road, it blew another airbag. And so we put it on uh, put it on the trailer and hauled it the rest of the way to Pablo. And when we unloaded it, I put another airbag in it. And didn't really think much of it until I really started got like I got looking around underneath and realized that the uh, that the uh, trailing arm basically ripped the tubing of the axle off. So the only thing that was left holding on the one side was one tab for the shock mount. So we limped over to a uh, auto or a marine repair in uh, in Pablo color in Pablo there, and that guy was nice enough to lend us some floor space and a welder. So I basically took the axle all the way out of the camper, um, rewelded it, uh, put a bunch of gusseting in there. Um, put it all back together and then we were, we were back on the road again. So, and then after that, we didn't have, after that, we didn't have any more problems. So. Well, maybe not. No problems. Well, if, yeah. Axle related <laughs> problems. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what, what other problems could you have had, Mr. Hine? Uh, well, at least the car has got a real nice gouge in the back bumper now. So, uh, oh. <laughs> the fiberglass, the fiberglass decided to, uh, that it wanted to stop the car. So, or stop the trailer. Um, we were cruising along just North of Billings at, I don't know, 10 or 10 or 11 at night, whatever time it was dark. And, uh, the trailer, uh, trailer ball, the nut must've backed itself off over, I don't know how long, but. Uh, I think it was rocking back and forth probably until it broke and then uh, lost the trailer, but safety chains did their job. It didn't go. 
it stayed it stayed behind the car thankfully um and actually when it fell off like it was just grinding in sparks and it was like you know we had no idea what was going on because we were just cruising at that point and uh so slam on the brakes and of course it slams into the car and and it was the jack that met the bumper so i'll put a race sticker over it or something for next week i guess <laughs> but uh and actually um yeah rich posted a video of you cruising down the road on instagram yeah if you look at it real carefully you can see that ball jiggling in the video <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was yeah, just yeah. That. we noticed after after the fact <clears throat> so yeah. oh that's rough yeah well, i think a couple couple other things that uh Chris failed to mention is you pretty much built that whole car, right? Uh, I had help, but the whole thing did get built in this garage. So um, I had uh, a couple of buddies, uh, Steve Gronick and, and Colin G came over quite a bit and, and gave me a hand. Um, so they helped, they helped me lots with, uh, you know, with planning and that kind of stuff. And then all the cage and, and uh, rear suspension fabrication. So, um, Colin's good at, Colin's really good at bend and tube. I mean, Steve is too. They help me both equally. So, uh, bend and tube and, and getting all that stuff built for that cage. It's a, it's a tight cage in a small car. So it took a lot of fiddling to, to get it right. Um, and then just trying to work around, you know, trying to work around everything else, try to work around a, a big gas tank in a small car. Um, still try to have a little bit of trunk, uh, all the extra stuff that has to go into those drag and drive cars that just, every there was there was nothing that we could just buy and bolt in everything got fabricated and made so that it fit you know where it needed to go because space is pretty limited so yeah yeah if, any, if, and the if car, you're ever at sorry. one of these events with uh and you see chris there you got to check out the build because it's pretty it's pretty damn impressive much like Thanks, Prince, yes. they're both uh phenomenal builds yes. Fast as heck, and, and uh, you know both are largely built by their owners, so that's pretty cool. One thing we um, Brent didn't touch on, and neither did Chris, but both of you guys are running uh, Mickey Thompson's uh, slicks. Uh, yeah, Brent yeah. I think is running with tubes. Yeah, I'm running a I'm running a twenty eight ten five W in mine with tubes. Yeah, on a twelve inch wheel. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I might have to take a page out of that book here pretty soon because uh, it's sure it's sure wiggly up in the top end on those slicks. So. Yeah, and some of the nice fabrication too is the two forty-five pound plates you have under the front of the car. <laughs> and and what's that for? Oh, uh, oh, it's to make the minimum weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to make it weigh a little bit more. <laughs> Oh God, so, to have such problems. I'm usually going the other direction. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a few of those things in the car that were just like, ah, there's no point in spending money on lightweight parts when I got to add weight anyway. So <laughs> yeah. And it's an iron block you said too, right? It is an aluminum block. Yeah. So the biggest reason why, the biggest reason why I went with the aluminum block, uh, was the heat dissipation. Um, the, the radiator's not very big in that thing, and I have no I have no grill space. It's not like I can put a bigger one in there, so I'm I'm limited on the rad size. Uh, so I went with the aluminum block. That was the biggest the biggest reason behind that because um, if I had better cooling uh, capacity, I probably would have went with a with an aftermarket steel block. They would have been similar in price, uh, but they handle a lot more power. So yeah, that's nice, what you need nice. is more power. 
Yeah, more power. Right. Are you <laughs> are you running an oil cooler, Chris? Uh, I am now. <laughs> yeah. So that was uh that was something that I just was actually working on today is I mounted an engine oil cooler. So um, it's never ran that far that fast, uh, you know, that hard for that long. So um, so we realized that the uh, yeah the oil gets a little hot. So uh, it's got a cooler on it now. Do you do you monitor oil temp? Uh no. See if you no sensors, no problems, right? So that's right. That's right. So why do you need a cooler? Because <laughs> it's it starts smoking out of the out of the breathers when it gets really hot. It it likes to let you know. So <laughs> oh okay okay. Hey, I'm still here working away up front. Yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. Maybe 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 knock her down to uh just to eighty there, Rich. <laughs> So. <laughs> we're just doing the speed limit of course he's pulling a house so that's uh, <laughs> he got a little bit more rpm than me as well and um, yeah yeah we were working we were climbing a mountain that was in was that in wyoming yeah i think that was in wyoming wasn't it or were we in yeah. montana i think it was still in wyoming yeah yeah well bill do you want to go next and tell us what you broke on this uh <laughs> what break me <laughs> oh man uh so so this year was started off to be a great year i did the first race week got first place in stick class and then i drove to canada surprised you won that and then was behind mr chris hine pretty solid for second place until we left kearney and we were i don't know a couple hours down the road and my co-pilot Jamie and I, the car kind of bumped twice. I was like, what was that? And so I went over to my EGT screen to look real quick. Everything looked good, except the oil temp, because guess what? I have oil temp monitor. And at that point, it was about <laughs> 220. And over the next 45 seconds, it went to like 232. And I pulled over, and I was like, what is going on? And uh, <clears throat> we checked the oil, and it was a little low. So we added two quarts, and then... Uh, Started up, went down the road, like, I don't know, another uh, half a mile, maybe. And I was like, oh, something's not right. It sounds, doesn't sound right. So we pulled over and I think you'd pulled up at that point, Rich. And we started it and made some ugly noises. Shut it, it off, cover. Like, shut it off. Yeah, shut it off, shut it off. <laughs> and uh, pulled the valve cover and I think three of the push rods, um, we're not in the cups on the rocker arms and that's bad. Like, how does that even happen? Like collapsed lifter? No, it's gotta be like the bearings came out of the roller bearings cause there's just not enough clearance in there. And so we swapped some parts over and then I was like, we need to pull the other side and look, pulled the other side and there was like four of them out and it broke the end off of one of the push rods. And I was like, oh God. And then uh, <clears throat> that's where he pulled the plug. I was like, we don't have the parts to fix this. Something else is wrong. Uh, towed the car. Long, long story short, I pulled the motor. After talking to um, Tess and Tony, and I, as I got the motor out, I was like, oh, it kicked out a cam bearing. And they were like, oh, yeah, you cracked the block. I'm like, what? I'm like, no way. Like, yeah, we've done that before. And sure as shit, that's what it was. That was a hairline crack in the cam tunnel. And that's a dark block. And that was it. So I didn't finish. I got the DNF. Yeah, that, uh, you guys are uh, 
wrenching on the side of the road in the rain and meanwhile brent and i are sipping beers at bill's house <laughs> oh oh yeah that's that's right yeah we got home at 3 a.m that night and yeah. sit in the car for an hour waiting for a thunderstorm to pass like it was yeah there was a lot going on that night and uh as yeah. some of you know i don't do so great late at night and uh we got home at 3 a.m <laughs> i was just so tired so yeah <clears throat> yeah and i i had the the honor of having like 10 of you guys in my house. It was very cool. Actually, we had a lot of people staying at the house and a lot of cool activity going on and people sleeping in their home in the driveway and everything. <laughs> and it, and it, it was kind of funny because throughout the week, um, apparently <laughs> there were some of these things placed around my house. And <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who can't see the video, there's two little magnetic dicks here. <laughs> and apparently there's two or three more, or I don't even know how many that I haven't found yet. <laughs> so so um, any hints would be nice, guys. Uh, it, it's actually pretty funny. But um, yeah, it, it's, it was a blast, like just having everybody here. And, and especially the short drive day, even though I was out. I still had such a blast. I got to ride and uh, matter of fact, I rode with Bill Leak and he's got a 33 factory five and it was just awesome. Just way less stress knowing I was out, didn't have to worry about my stuff and just kind of enjoyed the week. But uh, apparently when I was sleeping, there were dicks abound. <laughs> well, they were placed while you were awake. You just weren't in the, You just weren't around. <laughs> I was busy. I was busy being a good host. Yeah. <laughs> and you were. You were a fantastic host. Yeah. Ah, thanks. No, it was. It was awesome. I hope to do it again. But we'll see what happens with race week now that uh, supposedly it's the final season for Badamir, so it's done. Yeah. Well, I can. Uh, describe my broken parts i mean um yes so the same day that bill um pulled over because he had a hot oil temperature um it was probably what 40 minutes before that all of a sudden my temperature my coolant temperature started going up and it was pretty cold out and i'm like well <laughs> there's only one reason that the temperature goes up uh, when it's cold out and that's usually because there's no water in the engine <laughs> so um all week i was kind of fighting with uh my boost controller i had changed my wastegate springs and trying to get the bias table and the closed loop boost right we ended up leaving the uh the boost controller in test mode and um thankfully mr blasco uh, <clears throat> um, has a good theory around where to set your air pressure regulator or CO2 pressure regulator. And that's set it to about the most boost you ever want to see. And a good thing we did that because that's exactly where it went. I mean, I didn't want to see 23 pounds of boost, but that's what it saw. And it seemed- And it was calling good. for how much? How much was it actually calling for? Well, it was calling, it was calling for, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, 40 PSI, I think. Which is 500 KPA. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you normally make me. about how much KPA? Yeah, like usually when... I'm like 17, so I'm like 207 to 210 KPA is all I use. <laughs> I'm running. So okay. I was substantially higher, and the only thing that saved it from going higher 
was was the fact that the regulator was at like 25 uh, psi, so it, it could only put that much on the dome. So it's pretty funny. Blaskowitz asked me, "See, tell me like it's fine. See, it loves that boost." It, it I, I will say, 23 pounds with 521 cubes. <laughs> that feels really good. <laughs> really good. Like not, I don't know if it, it's like catch Chris Hine good, but it it felt really good. How much power do you think that is on your setup, Rich? Uh, I bet you it's, uh, it's got to be close to 2,000 at the crank. Whew. And yeah. your new crank is okay with that, it sounds like. Yeah, uh, I was chatting with Brent yesterday. We were chatting, oh, what rods are in my motor and what are they good for? They're a, <laughs> they're a billet crower rod, so a steel rod. So, yeah, that should be fun. <laughs> um, anyway, so I'm cruising behind Bill, and I'm like, uh, I gotta pull over. I'm like, I'm getting, I'm getting hot. So, sure enough, crack the rad cap, and it's nothing but air coming out of there. So I know what that means. Uh, means it needs more water. So I filled it up with water. Where did it go? Work. I'm gonna, I got a little work to do. I've, I've, this isn't the first time I've uh, heard a head gasket, but. Uh, so when Bill messages me, he's like, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it's kind of a jumbled um, message. And I'm thinking he's mocking me about uh, my coolant temperature, but it, he wasn't. <laughs> so we, we all pulled over there uh, the first time, added the oil. It was probably only five, ten minutes later. We pulled over uh, the second time by Bill's best friend's house there. And, uh, oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, I can talk about that, that too. I'm like, hey, oh. why don't we just leave your car at this uh, farm right here? You know, typically they're... Yeah, they're it was about... Like a... It was dark. What time was it? Nine o'clock, maybe? Eight? I don't even know. It was, it was yeah, dark. It was 10 or something, yeah. So, so we're like, okay, maybe. So I walk up to the house, and it's dark. And as I get into the yard, there is crap everywhere. Like, <laughs> tools out in the mud, stuff tearing apart. I'm like, oh, this this is, uh, I don't know about this. And I go and walk up to the front door, and there is a giant stove pipe coming out of the front door lashed to the gutter. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Like a wood stove pipe. There's some dogs barking. I could see somebody through the window, and the garage door is open, and there's just more junk in there too. And I'm like, I don't know about this. And this guy comes out, no shirt, giant belly, drunk <laughs> as a skunk. I can hardly understand him. He's like, what the hell you do? I'm doing, yeah, you partying down over here and just two roads down. I'm just like, oh my God. I walk back. And what did I say, Rich? We are not, not leaving my car here. <laughs> no, not at all. We're going to use my tow rope if we have to. But that was that was the decision point where I called AAA and got that going. And then uh, it was 93-mile tow to PFI's shop. And then... From there, um, Trevor had his trailer there, and uh, Matt drove their TRX, and we put it on the trailer and towed it to my house and got back at, like, 3 a.m., and, yeah, everybody was sleeping at my house, and I wasn't even there. So. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Trevor and uh, Brent and crew there from PFI for helping out again. Oh, huge. Yeah, yeah, it would have been... Yeah, it would have been, a, well, it was a long night, but it could have been longer. So, yes, thank yeah. you guys very much. 
so I ended up abandoning uh, Bill on the side of the road because I still had to follow the route because I was still in. And I was pretty sure I was going to have to change some head gaskets before I went racing the next day. But we proceeded. Uh, actually, it was Derek Hansen um, ended up catching up with him at the checkpoint. And then we thought we might as well do the rest of the route. And we got lost like many others and ended up climbing this mountain. There's no service. And so I ended up getting into bills around three in the morning and then uh, got to bed at three, woke up at six and then started ripping and tearing and changed both head gaskets. And after I changed the head gaskets and um, went to the track, I realized right away that, you know, I think my head gasket's been leaking for some time. In fact, I'm not sure that that, it's a 70 thou five layer MLS had ever actually sealed. I don't know if it was a special Blasco treatment on these uh, five layer MLS with, with uh, the copper paint, but. Oh, oh, that was all over my floor. Oh, <laughs> that's why I said Matt, Matt painted the uh, copper head gasket. The yeah, gasket. yeah. I was cleaning up my, my new shop, which I have a white floor in there. And I'm looking over in the corner and I'm like, what in the hell is this? And I could see the line. It looked like a snake where the electrical cord was and stuff. And I'm like, what is this? And so I got a little acetone and a rag and I started wiping it. And that rag came out like copper colored. I'm like, oh, they must have sprayed the head gaskets right here. <laughs> and so I had to move everything and clean the floor. Um, yeah, it was, it was the Blasco gift that just kept on giving. <laughs> I actually thought he painted him outside, but I was half asleep and head down, ass up, wrenching. It's um, it's all good. It's all good. But, uh, and then that was really it as far as I knew. Um, and then when I came home, I rattled the tires lots. I'm running radials and uh, I thought I'd better check out the transmission. So my input shaft has a slight twist, nothing like Chris's. Um, but, uh, I couldn't get my drive shaft off because the slip yoke had a nice, uh, a nice twist at the end. Um, so I, I, in order to get ready for a death week here, I've got a new slip yoke. Um, I thought, well, I only got the drive shaft. I might as well put new U joints on and had it rebalanced. And then I had a spare input shaft, so it's on as well. And I'll take the slightly bent one with me as a backup if, if I need it, but <laughs> so Chris, on your input shaft, how many splines is it twisted? Um, I'd have to go take a look again, but probably two or three. Oh. Um, is it cracked? No, it it didn't crack this time. Uh, it's not near as bad as the last one, but I almost I almost didn't even realize at first. Yeah, there you go, Rich Ooh. has one. Is that the last one? Yeah, this is the one I just took out. Oh, that's this Holy one. Life. Holy yeah. mackerel. So, but I, I almost didn't realize it at first because I like I just pulled the transmission back far enough. Like that was only I was just gonna check the shaft basically. Pulled it back just far enough, got in there with the light, and uh like the the collar that the or the aluminum tube that the slave rides on was covering all of that bent. And uh so I was like I was looking at the splines and I was like, Man, they look they look pretty good. Like Oh, but it looks like it, it looks like it chewed up, looks like it galled the aluminum on the collar just a little bit. It's like, well, I might as well pull it out and, and, uh, clean that up. 
you know, maybe give her the, the every cloth treatment or something and then put it back together. Uh, but as soon as I pulled that off, I was like, oh, now I got to pull this transmission apart again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. I can I can tell you that um, I did only the two days, Pueblo and Kearney, and mine has a little tiny twist to it. Yeah, maybe half half or a quarter of a spline, but it's 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 barely noticeable, but it's there. We're going to have to ask those guys if they'll uh, give discounts on like 10 packs or something. We're going to split it up between us. <laughs> yeah, totally. Bulk buy. <laughs> yeah. Well, except except mine's a Ford input and you guys are both GM. So uh, yeah. I, could, I could probably just do a 10 pack on my own. <laughs> Hopefully the 29 splines will be out soon and we can get some discs to match and Hopefully that'll yeah. solve that problem. <clears throat> what are there other yeah. options? I mean, it's really it. Like they're just as hard as they can be right now, and that's kind of it, right? Yeah, unless they decide to make a quail um, in a gear, then they can then they can make them out of, or they could temper them different. Maybe even make them out of different material. That's how PPG does it. So educate me. What is that exactly? Quill. So basically they have a, a fourth gear with the face plating and then they have yep. a separate input shaft that's just the shaft that presses in. And because they do that, they can make them a uh, different material. One one specifically to accept the, the shock that it, it gets from um, the clutch disc and then the gear being different where it's meshing with another gear. So is it like a splined press fit, obviously, so it doesn't turn? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Huh, that's a good idea. I mean, I, and on the 29 spline stuff, I mean, obviously, you got to get a different clutch disc hub. Um, but then <clears throat> will that fit the standard throwout bearings or is it too big? You got to swap all that stuff out. Do you know? I'm just, I'm guessing, but... I, I would think you probably need to swap that all out um, because like mine is, mine is very tight. Like as soon as it starts bending that shaft, it grabs the aluminum and, and starts uh, galling it up and filling the threads. So there's no, there's no extra room there. So. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm guessing if you're running a hydraulic throughout, like, well, you and I yeah. both are, we have to get all new for that too. So it's quite a bit. I mean, and then any discs that we have won't work anymore because the yeah. 26 won't work, obviously. So interesting. Interesting. Huh. Why don't we talk um, here before we get to, too carried away. So what the final the final in the stick shift uh, was Chris Hine with um, only because he probably could have made more passes if he wanted to, but he went 872 at a hundred and I don't know what his mile an hour was probably like 167 was probably your best mile an hour. Cause yeah, there's a, your, yeah. What, what was your best pass for the week? Uh, the, well the best, the, my best pass or the best pass that I can hand in. <laughs> no, no best pass, whether you could hand it in or not. Uh, it was, a an 847 at 168. So. Dude, that's so awesome. So I would it just been... creates problems. You know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris, unfortunately I had three of those in Bandamere that I couldn't use. So Oi. Oi. 
Yeah, in that pass, you were only going 130 miles an hour, weren't you? Uh, which one was that? Well, like when you went 847, you still were nowhere near close to your best eighth mile. Uh, no, that was uh, that was still 168 mile an hour out the back. Those were just I didn't have a whole lot of power in the car. Um, like I I was slowly taking power out of the car pretty much all week, but. The biggest reason was is I was I was getting a little bit more used to it again. I mean, I got uh, the driver mods were starting to kick in, so I didn't need the same power anymore. <clears throat> Man, and and you were putting like sixteen pounds to it. Is that right? Yeah, those that was like sixteen, seventeen pounds to to run those basically eight fifties. So, brother, at least at least impressive. At least when you had the uh, in-car 1320s with you and you missed a shift, it made for great video of my car because you stayed right with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's that stupid yeah. camera. Every time, the only time they had their, their video in the car, I, I blew a shift. <laughs> so, yeah, I've never to, done that. It, every time you come sure. towards you with the camera, it's like, oh, there goes that pass. Yeah, <laughs> we need to make sure that that camera's in that car every pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, oh wow. And Hustle. then uh, uh, I was in second place with an eight ninety four. Um, so I averaged in the eights, which was uh, which was my goal because I wanted to see how close I could get to um, the Dragon Drive World Champion. Currently, I'm number two, but. I know I'm going to move down. There'll be other, uh, there'll be some other people that c compete at Devon's event that I'm sure will bump me down. But if I'm anywhere in the top 10, I'll be happy with that. Congrats, then, Rich. Uh, That's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah, congrats. And then Brent, uh, 911, 911 um, for his, which is pretty darn awesome knowing that, uh, you know, he had a borrowed motor and <clears throat> he was. He was uh, he was playing right on the edge until the very last pass, and then kind of jumped is, over. Is your emergency line nine one one in Canada like it is here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I think that motor was saying something nine one one nine one one, and then he kicked the rods out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. The sad the sad part is that that I didn't add any more power to it, but it definitely made a little bit more power um, on the pass in the semifinals because it slipped the clutch there. And it got pretty cool that night. So I'm pretty sure it was just the air got that much better that it made enough more power that it was able to slip the clutch because I was just had enough weight on it to, to keep it locked up barely, right? But uh, yeah, you actually, but you added weight between the last two passes, right? Yeah, I think it was before the finals, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think that's yeah. what you said. It lugged it down just a little bit. Yeah. And then it said, we're done. Thank you for playing. <laughs> Thanks yeah. for coming out. <laughs> so it would it would make sense that it was a that it did turn a bearing then if for it to come apart like that because it really we weren't really pushing it power wise um but i wasn't really happy with the oil pressure on that motor all week um typically my motors will run around like low 60s like it'll cruise down the highway at about 52 53 pounds and this one was only running about 42 43 pounds down the highway and and about that down the track actually so i and wasn't what uh, what weight oil and what oil do you run? Uh, Shell T6 synthetic 540. 40 weight, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> what about you, Chris? Um, I run a driven 550 right now. Um, okay. And I'm usually, 
Uh, I'm usually about 60 cruising down the highway, unless you're really working it. Uh, like when we were pulling the camper on the way home, it would, it would dip down to about 50, just oil temperature getting hot. So, uh, but down track, um, it's usually starts out around 90 and uh, usually kind of evens out right around 70, 75, uh, the rest of the way down the track. So interesting. Why don't, why don't we, uh, why don't we talk about launch procedure? Why don't we start with uh, Brent and, and so Brent, you run a vertigate too, but you also have an adjustable clutch, but, uh, why don't you tell us, uh, some of your bracket racing secrets there, Mr. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Bracket Racer. <laughs> so what do you, well, what year do you do your burnout in? And then talk us through the talk us through your procedure when you you go up stage car and and even just before do you because we've talked a little bit about this especially with Frank Romano um, kind of the mental mental gymnastics some of us do to get ready for a pass because it's it's no joke uh, you know driving a thousand plus horsepower stick car at the track like. Do you do anything or you just get in the car and go? Um, for me, I, I just don't like being rushed. I don't like jumping in and belting up very last minute and then trying to go. I just, it doesn't set right with me. I, I always like being able to get in there and, and lots of guys don't like to be talked to and stuff. I'm not like that at all. You can talk to me right till I pull in the burnout box. That doesn't bother me at all. Um, literally like things can be as chaotic as they are at the track. And once I get in there and belt it in, in the staging lanes, I could go to sleep. Like it's, it's just that's where i'm happy and uh so basically i just i take the car to 160 degrees every time before i pull up to the burnout box um that's where my mapping is consistent and then the car is very consistent when i do that and i always do a second gear burnout i don't shift in the burnout box or anything um lots of guys don't recommend it with that 5r doing you can you can shift it in the burnout box but g-force recommended if i can just get away with a, a second gear burnout and it's sufficient then it'll live a lot and longer and be happier so that's what i try and do and then so i don't do crazy burnouts or anything i don't need a lot um and when i pull up the line i just kind of coast up there and once i'm up close to the line i uh set a little brake pressure i don't have a brake pressure gauge i wish i did um but I just, I kind of got that happy spot where it's usually pretty consistent where I can feel it, set a little brake pressure on my line lock. And then I just go in and stage and putting a clutch stop in my car. So it was dead consistent where the clutch was, was releasing every time was huge for me because as much as I love doing the stick car heads up stuff, um, there's just not enough of that racing here and I like to race. So I'll go bracket racing and stuff. And my car is not as consistent as all the, the hitter bracket cars at, like at Saskatoon or or in Alberta or anything those guys are good so but at least I can go and play and have some fun but yeah where's your line lock uh on the top of my shifter and what what rpm do you launch at typically typically I've been typically I've been right around uh 44 to 49 is usually where it's not too violent and it can just kind of, I can get about, I try and slip the clutch about 0.7 seconds is usually where my car is the happiest. And I just dead hook it. I don't try for wheel speed. I find that lots of guys, the old school mentality was always try for wheel speed and everything. And that's fine for a big tire car. But for us with, with the, the power that we can make and launching on a small tire, I find that when you are flirting with trying to get wheel speed, it just goes into tire smoke. 
So I find dead hooking it is a lot more consistent. Yeah, it's, it seems to be once you, like if you do spin the tire, the engine builds RPM and then it builds boost and it just goes out of control. Exactly. It just yeah. blows the tires off. That's been my experience too. Yeah. No shock sensors on the car? No, I don't. I need to get to it. I'm not, I've got all kinds of inputs and outputs on the Holly Dominator and I'm not using them all by any means, but um, yeah, I need, I need to do what you're doing. I need to get the Cadillac ones and then they're not crazy priced or anything. Yeah. Talk, talk hey. about that a little bit, Rich, because I don't know that people know that on yours, what you're using, because it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty just, smart. With the uh, MS3 Pro Evo that I'm using, um, you can bolt on anything, and probably same with you guys, but uh, yeah, I just get Rock Auto Cadillac ride height sensors, and I have one in the front, one in the back, and um, I actually don't concern myself too much with the number. You can see the trend. You can see when the front wheel's going up, when it tops out. Same with the back wheel, um, works works great. It, it taught me a lot. Um, it also <laughs> continually teaches me that if you don't pay attention to it, it's usually telling you something that you should pay attention to. <laughs> like in the yeah, shootout and... at the end, it, uh, it, I mean, it was pretty chaotic. Uh, the first pass was somewhat controversial and, um, and then we had to get back up there again to rerun it. And if I would have spent a little bit time, more time looking at the data, I would have seen that the front and rear shocks were topping out right where it was blowing the tires off in about one second. So a couple of clicks on the shock and I would have been, I would have been a lot better off, but they were slick. They're like $30. Uh, they're cheap. Um, you might as well buy four. Then you, you got a couple of spares if you need them, but uh, they're really OEM and they're easy to mount, fabricate a little bracket and <clears throat> they work really well. Gives yeah, us and they're designed for the yeah, they're designed designed for the elements. Whereas, I mean, I appreciate all the aftermarket ones, but they don't have the OEM, you know, two hundred thousand mile engineering plan in place. So, I'm a big fan of OEM parts when you can run them for sure. Yeah, and Brent, you uh, do you clutchless shift in yours? Yeah, I I shift off the limiter. So, I with the Holly, you can run. Um, probably lots of guys have heard Jonathan Atkins uh, talk about how he does it. And basically when I first started running the Holly, I, I just uh, talked to Jonathan himself and he, he was able to and say exactly how to set it up. And I just, I run a 1200 RPM window in it. So I'll like, um, for my motor, I shift at 72. So I have the high set at 72 and then the low set at uh, uh, 6,000. And so I just run it right in the limiter and I just put a hold a little pressure on my shifter and, and as it hits the limiter, it just falls right into the next gear effortlessly. And it, and it seems to make the transmission really, really live. Like uh, G-Force rate my transmission for 1300 horsepower and uh, my motor was making all that. And uh, and I have like in three years now racing that transmission, I've put uh, a first gear in it because it was starting to pit. And I put a slider in it because it took a little, just from misadjustment on my shifter actually just took a little bit of heat and it was starting to get some fine cracking in it. So it's pretty hard to complain about the the longevity of that transmission for that many passes and that little damage. Yeah. Yeah. That's we impressive. A, we got a pretty mm. good G-Force advertisement group right here. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Send input shafts. Send input shafts. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. We're not sponsored yet, but I'd sign up for that. Yeah. No doubt. <laughs> <clears throat> awesome. 
so Chris, talk about your uh, mental state and staging and exactly what you do. I'm not sure I'm the the model at this by any means. I'm I'm only one season into this, so I'm still listening to you guys every week and you know taking in taking it all in. Uh, but for me, it's there's always that game of when do you start putting your helmet on and and get in the car, especially when it's 30 degrees outside. Because I don't I'm same as Brand. I don't like being rushed. Uh, That's but freezing. I, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's like freezing at 30 degrees. Sorry, 90, 90 bill. Oh, but, oh, Fahrenheit. Yes, of course. No. <laughs> yeah. This is the Canadian podcast, Bill. Uh, get with That's you. right. Yeah. Three out of four, you got to get with the times here. <laughs> so but you, when it's hot like that, you don't want to get dressed up way too quick and then be sitting there for half an hour, 45 minutes, just baking. So, um, but once you kind of get through that, um, as I'm, I'm usually pretty calm. I don't get too nervous. I usually get nervous before I, before I kind of get in the car, but once you're strapped in and, and ready to go, um, then the nerves usually go away. So, uh, but I usually just roll up to roll up to my burnout box. I do, I do second gear burnouts, a um, little bit of RPM, uh, dump the clutch and just kind of roll out of it. Um, try not to do real big burnouts. I don't usually need real big ones. So, um, and then for my staging, um, lately I've just been just rolling up to the beams. The car stays quite, quite stable. So, um, I just kind of roll into the beams and as soon as I get that, that second bulb lit, uh, get up on the, get up on the two-step and get ready to go. So, um, I've been practicing lots this year, trying to get more consistent on that 400 pro tree. It just in the stick car, it sneaks up on you so fast, um, just because uh, I'm just, you're essentially idling, just inching into the beams, and then as soon as you get that bottom bulb lit, then you got to get up, and you know it only takes about a second to build boost, but it's just trying to get trying to get used to how fast that whole process goes. So your car's pretty violent, like. Uh... I don't know, 50 caliber machine gun violent when you're on the two-step. <laughs> so yeah. how do you, how do you set that up? You just use the boost builder and the Holly or what do you do? That's, that's all I've got in there right now is just the, the Holly boost builder. Um, but I'm going to look at some other options because it has a little bit of a cough. Um, and that's ex essentially what, well, two issues that I had going into the, the shootout there on the last day. Uh, we lined up and I ended up getting into the, I bumped in, he bumped in, and then I bumped into the second bulb and because I wanted to be ready. So I bumped in rather quick on the second one and got up on the two-step ready to go. But racing a turbo car, like I, all pretty much the majority of the season, I've been racing all stick cars. So everyone's, you know, it doesn't take the stick guys, you know, five seconds to bump in. Um, so, but by the time he bumped in, it ended up coughing on the two-step and like, just as I dumped the clutch essentially, or let out the clutch. Mm. So it fell right on its face. It fell down to like 2,500 RPM or whatever. And, um, and then, so it took, it took some time before it got going again. And I might've been able to catch him because I had a lot of power in it. Um, but with that much power, I ended up hitting a, a dome, the dome pressure spiked on the on the two, three shift, and then it reverted to gate. So, so instead of it making 23 and a half or 24 pounds, like I wanted it to, 
Uh, it made seven. <laughs> and then I just <laughs> cruised out the back, <laughs> watched him drive away. So, yeah. Yeah, that's rough. The draggy said, uh, the draggy said that was a 881 pass. And, on seven pounds. Well, the back half was seven pounds, and that was like a 165 or a 170, 60 foot. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What was your best? Mid track was mid track. Pardon? What was your best 60 foot in the week? Uh, 135, I think, was the best one. We weren't getting after it real hard. Uh, just trying to. Uh, just trying to do more consistent passes, not blow the tires off or anything. So, yeah, yeah, you got to finish to win. That's part of it. Yeah, it's part of the tactic. Yeah, yeah. So nice. All right, we got any other questions there, Rich? Um. Uh, well, let's just have a look at the uh, sheet here. Um. And so a couple of us are got another trip planned in like three days here. <laughs> just the, just the, just the short, uh, I think it's 1600 miles to get there, 2000 miles to do the event and another 1600 miles home. So I was doing, and it's not even Florida. <laughs> it's not even Florida. Yeah. I was, uh, I was all prepped to do it without the trailer, but once I put the fuel jugs on and, and everything, the, uh, I think my headlights were pointing at the moon. So it would have been, uh, it would have been slung pretty low in the back. And if I would have had to do any side road side repairs, it would have been a yard sale every time. So I bailed on that idea, um, after thinking about it all night. And so, but I'm pretty much ready to go. I was just working on my stereo before, before the podcast. So I, I guess that's a, I guess that's a good sign when you're, um, well, part of the reason when I drive so much is it tends to rattle everything loose. So you Loctite it, but after thousands and thousands and thousands of miles, uh, <laughs> stuff tends to come loose. So did you, um, did you Loctite your flywheel bolts, Rich? Uh, yes. And, a, and a trick for all those folks out there, don't Loctite the bolts, put them in the crankshaft and then screw them in because if you uh and i talked to a few people that this happened to where they used to put them on the bolt and then screw the bolt in it would actually get between the flywheel and the crank and uh eventually loosen up a bit so now i just make sure i always put the loctite right on the crankshaft and then screw the bolt in so then oh good it point. goes forward and it doesn't get trapped between the two haven't had any haven't had any problems since so nice Nice. So death week coming up for you. Lots of miles. How many tracks? Four tracks, five tracks starts in Phoenix. It's four race days, all eighth mile, uh, which is part of the reason I was thinking I could leave a bunch of stuff behind, but um, I, there's still lots of stuff in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> Something nice. that could get Chris or I home a whole transmission, and then uh, yeah, kind of. I'm like, ah, I don't need to bring the clutch out, might as well throw it in. So there's a spare clutch, spare nine inch. So Chris, you're doing it too. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And yeah, it I'm starts. Chase. 
Yeah. Chase Guido all the way south again. <laughs> nice. So it starts and ends in Phoenix. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Excellent. So. Excellent. Well, if you need a stop over on the way down, I'm kind of on the way to Phoenix. Yeah, we're. I was looking at the map, but you're you're a little bit out of our way. So yeah, you're a little bit oh, too far away. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. So, um, all right, Rich, should we dive into the uh, TKO round. What do you think? Yeah, I uh, I don't know if there was anything else that uh, you guys wanted to touch on before we do that, but we could uh, that'll generate some good conversation too. All right, um, you guys are familiar with the uh, TKO round here. I'll kick it off. Uh, first gear, we'll start with Mr. Hine. What is the first car you owned or modified? Uh, so the first kind of cool car, I guess, that I had is a 79 Pontiac Firebird. Um, I bought it when I was still in high school. Yeah, oh yeah, Pontiac motor. <laughs> so it had a... Uh, as I as I was working through it, it had a Pontiac 400 um, that I had born stroked. We put a 467 rotating assembly in it. Still kept the old 6X heads because I mean, guy can't afford heads when you're in high school. So, um, <laughs> little Performer RPM uh, air gap, Holly 750 with some vacuum secondaries and a set of long tube headers and a camshaft and uh, overdrive transmission. It was a pretty good little fun little car for you know for for what it was at that time anyway um learned learned a lot learned a lot on that thing you know made a lot of mistakes uh learned some stuff tried to do things yourself realize you're way in over your head you know had to get buddies to or you know buddies dads at that time to come help because our buddies didn't know anything that back then either so <laughs> but yeah that was the that was kind of the first cool one i had so uh few years yeah. handful of years later it went down the road but stick <laughs> yeah stick, stick shift no no it was uh that was an automatic it was a 204r with a 3000 stall converter in it did it come with a purse or did you have to go buy one uh no i think i think that might have been my first purse that one so oh okay yes yeah, nice. yeah. Nice. <laughs> brent how about you uh, my first car was a 91 Sunbird GT with a V6 and a five speed, but yeah, when you're, first, yeah yes. when you're young, you think it's pretty fast until you actually get something fast and you're like, okay. <laughs> and then yeah. I actually bought, I actually bought my dart, my dart when I was 19. So that was kind of my, my first cool car. But... Very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. I guess All my right. first, my first real car that I had was a, a Geo Metro with a, with a three-cylinder and a five-speed in it, so <laughs> that was my first first car. <laughs> when we went to pick it up uh, to do a test drive. I couldn't drive stick, and and my mom went with me at the time, and she didn't want to drive it either. <laughs> we fumbled our way nice. through. <laughs> nice. Oh. Okay, let's go right. to second gear. Uh, so, what, in your opinion, we'll go to Chris again has been the biggest technology change to move our sport forward? Um, I've listened to this question so many times and I've always came back to the answer of, you know, the EFI and that kind of stuff, but I'm going to go a little different route on it. I've kind of figured this one was, was coming. And, uh, 
I want to say just the the readily readily available help when it comes to trying to figure out problems. Like, um, I mean, back when you had to go over to your you know your other race buddy's house and you know try to try to sort out the problems or figure out what you were doing that kind of thing. Now you just jump online, you know, go on Facebook, find somebody that's fast, ask them some questions. Most of the time they'll answer you, um, you know, search some forms, that kind of stuff. But just the information on how to, how to do this is so much more abundant. I mean, uh, a year ago, I knew absolutely nothing about stick shift racing, to be honest. And, uh, we just started you know, started talking to, started talking to guys, started listening to, you know, the podcast and, and that kind of stuff and just getting a, a better base of knowledge, uh, before we really started on how we wanted to, how we wanted to tackle this program and, and try to make a program that was, that was going to work. So just the, the readily available, uh, you know, communication with other, with other good racers and good people. So. So basically, he's going that fast, Bill, because of us. Is, is Pretty much. That makes sense. I to, it makes total sense. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome. I just, I just took your guys' program. And like, of- why, why are you guys trying to do it with so much weight? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's because our balls are so big. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> the brains are really small. Yeah. yeah, yeah we're maybe yeah, inside that number number three. Uh, magnet there that you've been looking for. Oh, maybe, maybe. Is that a hint? Is that a hint? <laughs> All right. Okay. Same question for you. Uh, I pretty much agree with Chris actually, because the, the, I think the internet, um, cause you look back that, you know, guys, all our dad's age and stuff that were getting out of stick car racing and just in, in, and it was dying. Right. And it, and it seen a huge resurgence in in the last you know decade basically or less even um because of the internet and guys being able to communicate and obviously some top-notch suppliers being able to step up to the plate and and give us some stuff to work with too obviously but yeah i think the internet has been huge for it awesome so before bill asks you the next question um please add in who your co-pilot was and what they thought of this event um when to the, to the other answer to the question. Go ahead, Bill. All right, so we're gonna slam it into third gear. Palm it, palm it into third. Um, if you could spend one day with someone, who would it be and what would you do? This could be live or dead. Oh. I don't, uh, Brad, you might have to go first. I, I've heard this question, but I don't got a good answer for that. <laughs> I think I think I just did it. I had my dad come. He flew out from New Brunswick. Um, I met him at the airport, picked him up. We did all a race week together, had a phenomenal time. He's never done a drag and drive ever. Didn't really know what it was all about. And uh, we had a great time. Like, so that's my answer. That's awesome. It was my dad. That's awesome. Okay, Chris, now it's your turn. It was awesome to have his dad there. He was. uh, Yeah. It was a blast, and you could tell he was uh, super proud of his son and having a great time at, at the same time. So that yeah, was great. Thanks. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if there's a. I don't have just one person, you know, that I would really like to meet or you know that kind of thing. I mean, there's. Uh, 
for me, part of the part of what we what I enjoy about doing this kind of stuff is is just meeting the whole group. Um, you know, we met uh, met Tom and Blaine there. They hung out for a few days. Uh, uh, Bill Lee came down and visited for you know for a while. And I mean, there's just tons of tons of people that you meet along the way um, that you make friends with. You know, connect again next year. You know that kind of stuff. So. Um, for me, I just I just enjoy the, you know, the big the big group, the big family that it becomes these race week events. And who came with you? Then, um, I took uh, I took my girlfriend Rayanne. She came with me. She was slinging tires and wrenches all week and and uh, and doing a real good job there. So I was, we had a we had a we had a pretty good pretty fun trip. So. Was she slinging these all week too? <laughs> Just me. I'm the only one that slings those. <laughs> no, yeah, she was a real trooper too. That was that was awesome to have her along too. Because yeah, sometimes that can go either way, but uh, she definitely uh, seemed like she was having a good time and. Um, <laughs> even even on the side of the road in the middle of Wyoming with the drag of a trailer. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was a good sport. She's been through that for, for a while now. We've uh we've had a few breakdowns in the old car together. <laughs> <laughs> nice, so. nice. All right, we're gonna slam her down into fourth gear. Uh what influences you to build your cars? <laughs> well, you too. <laughs> <laughs> right there i don't know if that's good or bad <laughs> you're making a lot of poor life choices yeah yeah <laughs> yes he's helping he's helping me make some more <laughs> yeah. yeah crank it up <laughs> oh yeah great great <laughs> brent uh started out as my dad definitely um because when I was kind of in that most impressionable years, you know, the early teens or whatever, he actually bought a 67 Dart drag car. And I just kind of got a weird infatuation with him. I always liked him there. Nice, light little, or relatively light little uh, race car. And then um, as it's kind of two-part for me, because actually if you listen to Brian Lone's podcast on the, on the 1992 uh, uh, streetcar deal that, that Hot Rod Magazine put together and everything else like that, um back then my dad bought every single magazine um like not every single but uh car craft hot rod some opar muscles and stuff like that and uh i remember reading that cover to cover over and over and over all that that whole streetcar scene back when rob sabre's bet it was doing it and and it was funny like i forgot a lot of the guys names actually until i listened to that podcast and i was like oh yeah i couldn't believe that and then so i've literally listened to that podcast probably probably six or eight times now. I, I just keep listening to it. Whenever I'm bored, I'll throw that podcast on because it's just because I, it brings me back memory lane a little bit, I guess. And so that definitely shaped the way that I wanted to go with my dart hundred percent. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Brian's All right. to. Brian does a phenomenal right, job first, with that podcast. Well, yeah. Which one, which podcast is this? I'm familiar the, with this one. The Dorkomotive. Oh, Dorkomotive. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. All right. So the first well, in some transmissions, the first fifth gear or the first overdrive, or in your case, Brent, one-to-one, -one. either way, it's fifth. And what, in your opinion, is the secret to stick shift racing? 
Uh, well, I think I know what it is now, but I'm still not doing it properly. Uh, obviously, clutch management is key. So, um, huge, huge. Yeah, yeah. Some obviously that that's why I got two twisted up input shafts sitting on the sitting on the shelf because realistically, I probably shouldn't be having those issues at my weight, but I still am. So, it's obviously a, a clutch management. So, so what are you you gonna go to a slipper clutch like Rich and Brent? I think so. Um, I'm currently waiting for that 29 spline to come out. Hopefully it comes out here soon because uh, I don't have any spare shafts left now. So, um, but I'll probably, I'll probably upgrade to that 29 and a slipper at the same time. So um, I just, I think there's a lot more, there's a lot more left in the 60 foot in that car and getting it through the 330. And if I can get some more consistent launches uh with a slipper clutch versus just my left leg doing whatever it does um then i should be able to do some more suspension tuning and and really get after that 330 so 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 before brent does this let me ask you you're already faster than your cage cert so what are you hoping to accomplish like eighth mile stuff where you can just kill it that's not an et barrier um, a little bit of, a little bit of both. I mean, yes, it's, it's cage limited and I'm, I'm quite happy with, with what we did here this week or this last week at race week. Um, so if I could repeat those, that'll be good. But yeah, um, I want to be able to make it faster for some of those shootouts and stuff. So, and especially like a lot of the shootouts and stuff around here have been going, have been going eighth mile. Uh, a couple of our tracks are eighth mile and the rest of them are just, um, it's cheaper for those guys, you know, they only have to lay half as much glue in with the glue shortage and that kind of thing. We did a lot of eighth mile racing lately. So if I can, uh, if I can turn it up some more and make it more consistent, at least then I might have the option to play in, uh, like a small tire class or something like that. If there's no, if there's no stick shift classes. So nice. All right, Brent. I think it's data management. I'm for like, for the most part, I think we all kind of know the parts that we need, like whether they can vary, obviously, between all our cars are so different, yet we're all still running very close times, but, um, and with very different parts, a lot of it, but us, a lot of times looking at that data, and just like what Rich said earlier with shock data and stuff like that, if, if we're looking at it and overlooking it, then we're not helping ourselves any, so if we can the biggest key for me is really looking over the data logs with the fine tooth comb, seeing what's going on. Cause every one of us can say, as we're sitting here that you, you've come back from a pass and thought that you felt something. And then you look at the data and you're like, no, <laughs> whether you chicken footed it or, or whatever the case may be, um, the data doesn't lie. So as long as we can find what the information that's in there, then I think that's key. You know, the worst data is that damn TPS sensor. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. Oh, that one's rough. <laughs> yeah. All right. Were you full throttle when you made your quickest pass during the week, Chris? No, no, <laughs> not the whole thing. <laughs> me either. So yeah, but you were like half throttle and then you finally decided, Hey, I should put my foot through the floor. There's a, there's a few of those. Yeah. Uh, the, my gas pedal is quite stiff and I really have to think about using all of it for it to actually happen. <laughs> we should put some extra springs on that thing. So it's stiffer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
So. Okay, so for those of us with six gear, um, <clears throat> what advice would you give to somebody getting into this sport? Oof. Uh, make sure you got make sure you got a few bucks to put away for those, uh, those extra input shafts you're going to need. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good time. It's fun. It's really rewarding. Um, but it is expensive. Uh, maybe when it comes down to, you know, if I could have just bought a glide, you know, a top of the line glide is half the price of that, that, uh, six speed. So, um, they're definitely, definitely expensive, but they are a really good time. You'd still be you'd still be driving back from race week though. I might be, yeah. That's <laughs> true. I know we we were cruising down the I think it was Brent and I were ripping down the road there on the way back and uh or on one of the legs there and we ran up on the back of a group of two speeds going fifty five mile an hour. <laughs> At like thirty five hundred RPM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that might have happened uh, a few times to us. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Brent, who doesn't have sixth gear? Uh, the best advice I could give is just kind of find a, a combo that you're kind of looking to build if that's possible and and hang out with them or even help pit with them or uh, just kind of see what they're going through firsthand though. Not just, not just reading on the internet, <laughs> even though I said the internet's a huge help, but um actually being real track time with a car that's similar combo to what you want to do is going to be the best information you could you could see and do yeah that's a good point for sure yeah, yeah i would say rich's car was the first experience i ever had with a face-plated transmission like i could hear it i was like god is that thing broken and then <laughs> i think you let me drive it at one point and i was just like oh yeah and that whoo, started that long decline but yeah yeah i agree <laughs> Yeah. All right. Awesome. Well, um, let me put a huge thanks out to Stick Shift Nation for hosting this podcast. And uh, of course, you can find our Clutch Burners podcast on pretty much any of the uh, podcast platforms and YouTube if you want to see our beautiful faces. And if you'd like to see the Clutch Burners podcast continue to grow, head over to Stick Racing, grab a Stick Shift Nation shirt, hat, or sticker. And um, I think that's about it. So stickracing.com. Get all your uh, all your stuff. Yeah. Thanks. I think uh, that's thanks it. Chris, Chris and Brent for your time. I know you guys are both busy. One's ripping apart a motor. Another one's uh, getting ready to come on another cruise. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to another cruise. As much as I harass you about following me around or... <laughs> chasing me around. I'm not sure what it is and kicking my butt. <laughs> it's really cool to have another stick car drive that far and do the same uh, sort of gig. I mean, uh, it's pretty awesome to to have you with me there. So yeah, definitely. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having us guys. Appreciate it. Oh, you guys are welcome. Thank you so much. <laughs>